Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Scottish Paddlecast from the Scottish Canoe Association. We hope you are all keeping well and we are delighted to be joined today by Lara Cooper who supports the delivery of the SCA's coaching and leadership qualifications. She has a wealth of experience as a paddler, coach and coach educator. So delighted that she's made the time to join us today. Um, thanks very much, Lara. Great. Thanks, Doug. Nice to be here. So just to get you going, Lara, we've been asking everybody um, the same question. Uh, hopefully it's not a difficult one. So if you could paddle anywhere in the world with any people, uh, where would you go and who would it be with? I'd go to India. It's, it's a really easy question, that one, Doug. I'd go to India, a um, place of many, many happy memories of paddling white water and enjoying the rivers and exploring, but firmly set in a, in a fantastic culture, um, which I really enjoy being part of and, um, and exploring a, a, fa- a fairly crazy, crazy structure um, with all my, um, my best paddling buddies, people I've paddled many years with on lots of trips. Um, yeah, I'd do that tomorrow if I could. <laughs> Great. So um, in a minute, we're going to get to you and your current role in that kind of coach educator space. Um, but I suppose before we get to that, could you maybe tell the listeners a little bit about your journey into paddling and your, I guess, how you got started in the sport in the first place? Yeah, sure. Um, I started paddling when I was 10. Um, my brother went on a PGL holiday and came back dead keen, wanted to. His mum and dad said, what, do you want to, what, what did you enjoy? And he said the paddling. So he got into it. He was about three years older than me. Um, and when he came to sell his first kayak, uh, we lived in the East Midlands and there wasn't, um, not in a great club network. So pretty much bought a boat and got on with it. And when he came to get rid of his first boat, um, I said, I'll have it without much thought, really. It was just seemed, um, yeah, I don't know what inspired me, but I wanted to get some of it. Um, and I, I started paddling from then and very quickly got into slalom. So I raced um went through the divisions um as a young slalom paddler um to sort of i guess my uh, my peak was when i was about 18 or 19 when um a junior world's um silver medal and a european champion and then sort of the year after making the transition into seniors and i had a back injury which sort of put a put a stop to my racing and training um but to be fair i was probably ready for something else as well so when I reflect back on it I kind of um I wasn't necessarily devastated by the the shift away I was quite excited by the opportunities and at that point I got really got into coaching and leading and white water paddling so my sort of I went and worked as a TI um, at the center got qualified um and did loads and loads of paddling um, myself in the white water um, scene did lots of traveling with my boat and re- still really enjoy the journey journeying aspect of paddling now I do more sea kayaking than anything, but um, I went through a transition of sort of from slalom into whitewater, personal paddling, and was employed by the, I also started slalom coaching at the same time, so got into coaching the British junior team, um, and then was employed by Canoe Wales as the national coach for the Welsh slalom team, and worked mostly with the juniors um, in there, and so worked in a great team of other um, inspiring athletes and coaches at that point. And sort of also started working in tandem on my whitewater coaching qualifications um, and got into the coach education, got qualified, got into the coach education team and started running coach education. It's uh, really interesting. I've just had a conversation with Sam Miles on, on this podcast where he did something really similar, where he started in slalom 
and then moved into the recreational world. And, and it sounds like you did something something similar, Lara. Yeah, and my whitewater kayaking, I loved the the accuracy and precision of the of running rivers and being challenged by run, running rivers. And my favourite rivers were the ones which were sort of technical enough and steep enough that you could apply all your slalom skills. Um, big volume where you just sort of point and go didn't really inspire me so much. And they're super steep. Um, didn't either but if I was on a river where I could imagine gates hanging I was in a, I was yeah dead happy and loved it and I think that's why I enjoyed India so much because there's lots of that style of, of water to paddle um, and enjoy. Yeah I always find it really interesting when we get people who maybe have come from slalom or then moved into some of the recreational disciplines and yeah just a just a different perspective I, I guess on things. So I'm interested to explore with you a bit about what was that journey like for you when you went from coaching paddlers and um, moving into coach education and beginning to develop other coaches and leaders? Um, I don't know. I guess it was um, it was a long time ago. <laughs> so I, I kind of came into the coach education when the, there was less guidance on what you covered and um, and how you went about the assessment. So you could grow into it by doing it. Um, so I suspect it was probably easier than it than oh, I don't know. Maybe it's easier now when you've got some real clear guidance on what you're supposed to be doing. But I was just passionate about coaching and I wanted to share that with other people and and best and help them to also be able to coach. And in slalom, we were. I used to my probably my first role was doing some slalom coach education um, and that we desperately needed them where I was so we were trying to encourage parents and um, interested parties and stuff to get involved in the coaching to help the athletes um, so it started quite gently um, and then I went through the recreational sort of the white world kayak coach um, process which at the time was lots of observation going in and sitting on courses and running courses and stealing the bits that you like and and doing something different for the bits that you don't like and you know finding your feet and finding your way forwards um and then it became more and more of a thing and i um sort of started i did some work with british canoeing actually designing and developing qualifications for them um which i've been doing for um 10 15 years involved in that side and that's really nice to sort of um again put your try and make it come to life in terms of what you're thinking and trying to improve the coach education system and in a way that really uh, matches well with what coaches want and and ultimately to help them better support the paddlers that they're working with. That's really interesting Lara it reminds me of a colleague of mine from rugby who talked about his first coaching course back in the 1970s or something and he remembers it being sort of a this is a scrum, this is a line-out, etc. And, um, and there's obviously been quite a shift from those days, so I, I guess I'm wondering what that transition has, has been like in canoeing. Yeah, no, canoeing's been pretty forward-thinking, to be fair, um, with its coach education. It's always been very people-centred, um, more so now. It's moved um, more in that direction, but it's always been pretty cutting-edge. And I came in on... Um, a lot of content that was covered in the sort of early 90s is still there now. Um, we've definitely matured in the way it's delivered and um, et cetera, but it has always been focused on helping the learner and recognising the learner's differences. And um, so a coach is trying to tune into into their unique learners. And I just think our sport in part is um, 
there can't be a way to do something. Um, there is a million different ways and the, and the body shapes and the boats and the, all of those different variables come in um, mean that there is no sort of one fixed perfect golf swing maybe. Um, in our world, everybody paddles slightly differently. They make the most of their length of their levers or the strength they've got or the techniques they've got. And um, so it kind of pulls us away from this this need to sort of coach a a particular thing so all the coaches doing is sort of regurgitating that to their to get their performers to perform this particular way so we've always been much more very flexible um, in our approach so I think that's been a good thing and um, and the sport lends itself well to that approach yeah so one of the things we were going to talk about today was was qualifications and and assessments and um, even the word assessment can kind of give people the fear and I've um, certainly had my own ex- experience of interesting moments on assessments. So thinking about what you've just said there about putting the learner at the centre of the process, and how does that uh, kind of link to this idea of assessment for you? Assessment, um, if, le- if if anyone going for an assessment can approach it in a, with a learning mindset, um, then they're on for an absolute winner um, because they, if they're going in with that, I've got this, uh, I've got this wonderful opportunity for somebody who knows more about this stuff than I do to watch me do my thing and give me some good quality feedback on that. Um, it just sets them up so well for a positive assessment experience. And on the flip side, if they if somebody goes in and approaches their assessment with a um, their mind is on passing, um, it's either on passing or at worst it's on not failing. Um, and that then preoccupies their mind through the process. And then they can't, um, the learning is sort of parked back in the, the back of their mind somewhere. But also the needs of the people in front of them, if they're coaching or leading, the needs of the people in front of them also get parked um, because they're so stressed and anxious about being assessed. They see the assessor as being um, the enemy um, or holds all the power or is, ever, is all in control of the situation. So they're on a, um, that, I guess that's the biggest pitfall for anyone going into assessment. And the biggest message that I would put out is is see it as an opportunity and see it as a, a great chance to learn. Um, and then actually on the assessment, just try and be as normal as possible. So that feedback you get is very genuine and authentic um, rather than being um, candidates at the end of the day saying, well, don't, that's not what I normally do. <laughs> you know, what we want to see is, well, we want to see what you normally do so we can chat about it and talk about it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'm actually having a bit of an acid flashback to my single pitch award assessment many years ago. And at one point, the uh, assessor described what I was doing as assessment-itis. So everything I was doing was fine. I was just tripling my workload by trying to you know, make sure that I was going to pass and all this sort of thing. And he just said, you need to just calm down a little bit. Um, but actually, at the end of the process, I reflected that um, I think I actually learned more on my assessment than I did on my training course. So I'm wondering if, if that's something that, that happens a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. And assessments um, sort of punctuate um, the coach's development. So they're definitely a benchmarking opportunity to sort of say this is how far someone's got in their development. Um, but everybody's on that journey. And, and they'll some people will do assessments when they're a bit further behind in their learning journey and other do it when they're further ahead. And um, and it's just recognising that 
the individual is on a learning journey. They want to learn to get better as a coach. And um, and the assessment is um, an opportunity to sort of see where you are against some standards. Um, but it doesn't mean that um, if you if you're not successful at the time of the assessment, it doesn't mean that you're a rubbish coach. It means that you've still got some stuff to learn to get to that particular benchmark. And um, and it really doesn't matter that the, what, what's important is the coach is keen to learn and keen to develop and, um, and wants to get better at what they're doing. Um, and it doesn't matter if they've been doing it for 50 hours or 100 hours. Um, a person who's doing it, been doing it for 50, well, catch up you know they'll they'll do the more hours moving forward so um it's just recognizing that um it is a benchmarking opportunity but but hopefully people can approach it with with um, curiosity and um and looking forward as opposed to um being particularly anxious about it yeah it's interesting isn't it so something that i had a conversation about a few months ago um, with somebody was this idea of a assessment for learning rather than assessment of learning so I was wondering if you might be able to maybe just unpack that a little bit for us and, and kind of w- what that really means. Yeah, it's that concept that um, um, the the process of being assessed is an evaluation of where you're at, um, essentially. So, And you've got an expert there in the room who can sort of um, help you with that evaluation um, to enable learning to happen. And, and if we can, and that's kind of what I've been saying there, is that if we're viewing it with that opportunity to learn, um, as opposed to a an assessment of learning is kind of gone where where am I right now I'm more focused on the outcome um, passing or failing and meeting that requirement and less focused on the learning component of it so it kind of shifts the focus from both a candidate point of view and also for the assessor because as well as as I'm saying here we want it's ideally a candidate's coming into the door on assessment really hungry to learn but what also should happen is the assessor should be focused on helping the candidate learn as opposed to being overly focused on or outwardly focused on passing and failing or reviewing criteria or or, or that sort of more of the benchmarking side of it if we can sort of sneak that under the carpet a little bit and make it more about learning then that's a much more positive experience so i've never really thought about it before from the perspective of an assessor rather than the perspective of, of a candidate so What's it like for an assessor turning up to to assess a candidate? Um, that's a great question, Doug. A really good question. Um, assessors, they're just like coaches. Um, their their heart is is in it to help the people in front of them as best they can. Um, and they their job is essentially is to help the candidate perform their best um, on the day, um, and then be able to review that performance against the what's required in the standards um the assessor as an assessor you really want to help the candidates people being assessed to thrive and to enjoy the process um you kind of want to be helpful but you're in a little bit of a dilemma you don't want to um take away anything from the candidate and letting them letting them get stuck in and do what they do um giving reasonable support to them um so for example if a um if you're at the position needing to decide where to go, what river to go, what section of water to go on, um, what's that, what what to do, I always think that, that is the most stressful moment for the candidate because um, they've got to make this massive decision which is going to completely, potentially steer the direction of the day. 
And if they get the venue wrong and they make a duff decision at that point, the day is going to fall to pieces for them. And you know that you can see that as an assessor. You kind of um, now, if a candidate's really familiar with venues, you're more likely to sort of sit back in that scenario and kind of go, well, they've got all the information. They know these sites. They like to make a good decision here, so I'll let leave them to it. But if they're in a new venue, if they've gone, they've travelled to do their assessment and they're somewhere new and they don't know the venues it's kind of unreasonable to expect them to make this great decision at that point in the day, which is when they're least settled. Um, so the actual assessor getting involved in that decision-making process with them, and being helpful and kind of saying, have you thought about this river or what do you think it might be like when you get there? Or, or I think this site would be really good because it gives you the opportunity to do X, Y, and Z. So you might want to think about that um, as opposed to being this sort of standoffish assessor who's, um, who sits back and kind of goes, I can see this is going to go down the pan and do nothing about it. So we're trying to be helpful and reasonable and not expect too much from the candidate and best set them up really for the for the day ahead of them. Um, it's, it's really easy to do that it, when the candidate is genuine about wanting to learn because they engage in a two-way conversation with you um, and they're happy and comfortable and relaxed in that environment. Um, if a candidate's a bit nervous or is coming in and approaching the assessment as the assessor as a um, sort of somebody in a position of power who's going to pass or fail them, then those conversations are much harder to have. So you're trying to gently tease out in the candidates and trying to help trying to put trust up, really, that they trust you're there for the, with their best interests at heart, um, as opposed to um, trying to trick them or, or catch them out. That's really helpful hearing it from the perspective of the assessor. So moving then into the perspective of, of the candidate, what might a good assessment look like? So many years ago when I did a climbing assessment, the assessor very helpfully had a guide on his website with this is what a good assessment looks like, which I found really helpful in preparing for it. So as somebody who sees a lot of assessments, from your point of view, what does a good one look like? Uh, fly on the wall if I was looking down on a, an assessment um, what would I see um, I think f um, lots of fun and enjoyment people having a nice time um, so if it's a coaching or leadership assessment the people who are being led or being coached um, are happy and enjoying themselves and therefore they're probably learning the coach is probably getting other leaders probably making good decisions um, the coach is also hopefully enjoying the process. You know, at the end of the day, they're coaching, they're leading, they're or paddling, they're doing their thing. So they should enjoy it. We we love coaching. Um, so hopefully they could they're able to park their nerves. Um, if they come in with anxieties and nerves, um, they can park those and and get on with doing what they do um, and enjoying what they do. And if they do that, then there's a high chance they're going to perform well and perform normally and perform do what they normally do. Um, so. If I was a fly on the wall, I'd hope to see lots of smiles, lots of happiness, lots of chit chat, um, lots of just conversation and dialogue um, between the candidate and the assessor, between the candidates and the, and the participants that they're working with. Um, and that kind of goes through from um, the planning stage. So at the planning at the very beginning, candidate being well prepared, having all their ducks in a row and all their kits sorted and not being anxious about have they forgotten their first aid kit or whatever it is they need to remember? So really well planned and thought out. Um, 
they've got a good eye on what's going to be expected of them. So just having a look through the paperwork side of the assessment or talking to other people who've been assessed and talking to the assessor and just getting in their mind what it is that the day's going to look like um, to try and then help when they arrive sort of for, for an assessment it starts to happen, they can um, they can use all that prep they've done on, on demand as they need it to help the day run smoothly. Um, I think then once once the day gets going, um, it's really important that the person who's being assessed is really takes an ownership over what they're doing and when they're doing it, how they're doing it, etc. And really owning some of the sort of decisions that are made. So on the coach award assessments, um, the candidates can be assessed in their normal working environment. It can be at their club with people they normally work with. Um, and the assessor drops in um, to watch something which is second nature to the can to the candidate. They're doing their normal thing. Um, so we really encourage people to, if you normally work with a set group, get assessed with them. Um, don't suddenly be assessed working with people with different needs that you're not used to. Um, but equally, if you're if you're used to working with unknowns, if you work in a sort of centre environment or that kind of thing where you're used to meeting and greeting people for the first time and building relationships with them quickly, then do that on your assessment because it's what you'll be good at. Um, so don't, you don't need to make it hard for yourselves. Um, get get right stuck in with that. How can I make this as normal as possible? And that way you're likely to show the best skills that you've got, the most experience you've got, um, and be less nervous or anxious about the process because there's lots of familiarity um, in what you're doing I think um, I think that I think I guess the other the other area there is perhaps at the end of the day what it might look like um, and again it should be a conversational dialogue between the candidate and assessor talking about the things that the candidate's really interested in and really wants to learn so the feedback is genuine and authentic um, if you've had the sort of day where if you've if you kind of said if the candidate sort of says something like, um, I'm, wor I'm working really hard to um, build a relationship with this group or this particular athlete or paddler, I've been trying to develop their forward paddling or um, and I'd really like you to watch and see how I'm doing with that. And then it comes to the feedback and the feedback is kind of like, oh, it's brilliant. I, we, and then you can talk about what things they played with, things they tried, things that you might help them do better. Um, so that, that feedback session, that review session with the assessor has a very different look and feel about it the one where the candidate's sitting quietly waiting for the assessor to say, this is what I thought. Um, and also what the assessor thinks has a lot less pertinence to the person because they're sort of going, well, I don't really, I'm not really interested in that. I wanted to know about something technical or something, um, something different. So it helps keep it much more real. And then there's more learning that falls out of it. So that assessment for learning idea that comes to the forefront of it. Yeah, somebody said to me many years ago, there's there's two ways to pass an assessment. Uh, one is to run a really, really great session and to hit all the criteria and everything to go really well. And the other is to deliver an absolute stinker where kind of everything goes wrong. And, and at the end of it, when the assessor says, well, how did that go for you? You say, oh, that was a complete disaster. And I'll tell you why that was a complete disaster, because I failed to do this, this and this. And that's why this is what I would do differently next time. And of course, as an assessor, uh, you're going, yeah, great, immediate pass, because there's a candidate who's thinking and already critiquing their practice. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the pitfalls that people can fall into is um, they get they can get over-anxious or give up if their coaching session starts to take a dive um, and, that, and it's not going where they want it to go. And 
coaching, and we all know that coaching, yeah, um, you go through peaks and troughs. In, in any one session, you're navigating your way through um, helping somebody to learn or perform, do what they're doing. Um, and that in itself is, it's difficult, it's unpredictable, it's never the same twice. If you're working with regular people on a regular basis they can turn up one day in a very different mindset to the other um, and suddenly your coaching now has to take a different tact so coaching is difficult it is unpredictable there isn't a perfect picture of this wonderful session and and any you ask any coach the sort of the amazingly good set coaching sessions they've ever run they could probably count them on one hand so we don't expect that to happen on assessment. You know, it's actually less likely to happen on assessment because you've put in a, a th- another variable into it. So that's real coaching. And, and that's what the assessor's interested in is, is how do you, you know, if, if you go through something that's working really well, can you talk about it? Why did it go well? What were you thinking? What did you choose to discount that instead of um, actually what you did? And equally with the, when it's going really difficult, um, talking about that and being open with that and saying, you know, oh, I was trying to, um, I was trying to get them their top arm to do this, and and everything I said, everything I tried, and I tried half a dozen things, and I still wasn't getting there. Um, and having a conversation with the assessor where they might kind of say, did you think about this? And you'll say, no, I hadn't thought about that, but um, but I did try this, and that shows you maturity as a coach and gives away a lot more about what you're thinking. Um, than if you sort of hide behind that and think, well, I can't say that was bad because they'll fail me. Absolutely not. You know, the the ability to reflect and learn and develop is so key in coaching and we have to do it on the hoof all the time. So we're as much interested in that, um, the things that you found difficult and the struggles you had in the coaching or or session and being able to talk about them um, shows so much maturity. And, and absolutely, we're not expecting um, those not to be there. They're always there in our coaching. So put them out, put them up front, put them on the table and, and talk about them. I mean, Lara, I think we could happily continue this conversation for another hour or so. And I'm just very conscious of time and, and maybe beginning to, to wrap up this conversation. You've offered so many great nuggets of wisdom there, and I, and I really hope people have been writing them down as they begin to prepare for assessments and so on. So if you could offer candidates just one or two pieces of sage advice from somebody who sees a huge number of assessments, uh, what, what would they be? Try and be as normal as possible and make the environment as normal as possible. Put your mind onto if it's coaching, put your mind onto the participants in front of you and giving them the best day's coaching you can. Um, doing that in a normal setting as you do. So your mind is all about the people in front of you and looking after them and giving them a good day. Your mind's not on the assessor trying to second guess what they're up to. Let them do their job and you focus on your job. And 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 if the assessor doesn't see something they need to see, then that's their job to get it out to find it and to, and to ask somebody to do something different or ask questions or do more. So normal, be normal, create normal normal situations and put your mind onto, um, onto the people in front of you that you're looking after. And that way you're more likely to show a, a great, you know, great, you, you, you at your best as a coach or as a leader. Um, and then have that learning focus. That'd be my other one. So have a learning focus about the day go in there and see it as an opportunity um, and see the assessor as a friend who can help you develop as a coach. Um, 
to get the best out of the day. And, and everybody should leave an assessment feeling good about themselves, whether they've passed or not passed. It doesn't matter. They should feel good about themselves. And and if you have that learning focus, you can kind of go, I did these things and I was really pleased with them. I performed to my best. I can't ask any more of myself than that. And I've got all these great things to go away and learn um, and help me develop and get better as a coach. And that will make somebody feel great about their assessment. And the result can be, you know, it is what it is. And, and if it's there, it's great. And if it ends up being another six months before you go back and do it again, then that's fine too. You're positive and feel good about yourself as a coach. Lara, we're so grateful to you for your time and sharing your insights um, as someone who sees a lot of assessments. You know, you've got a great perspective on on things that candidates could take forward. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed it and maybe now thinking about how they might um, put some of it into practice as they start preparing for assessments so over the next wee while. Um, I've written a whole load of things down myself, um, particularly around kind of seeing it as a learning opportunity and not being afraid um, to make mistakes and, and try stuff out. So hopefully you can all begin to put some of that in practice and, and take it forward. There will be more podcasts coming, so please subscribe and keep an eye out so you don't miss out on anything. Um, obviously, the big thing at the moment is, is please look after yourselves and stay safe. Um, and big thanks again to Lara. Great. Thanks, Doug. Great. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.